Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Why are you sitting at home right now, ladies and gentlemen? Why might you not have a job right now, ladies and gentlemen? Why can't you go to church right now, ladies and gentlemen? I submit to you it's because political decisions have been made. Were they good political decisions or bad political decisions? We'll leave that for another program. But I want you to understand that politics are very important to how you live every day. They're very important to the gospel as well. Why? Because you cannot preach or live the gospel unless you have political freedom. If you don't think so, you can go to the, some of the countries I've been to. I've been to Iran. I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to China. You can't do what we're doing on this broadcast right now in those countries. Why? Because politically, they've ruled it out. Politics is essential to the gospel. It's essential to the way you live. And every Christian and non-Christian ought to be interested in it for that reason. And for that reason... I want to introduce you to a young man who is doing some great work, not only in the political field, but also in the field of Christianity and even Christian apologetics. His name is Charlie Kirk. He started a new organization. I say new. It's been it's been around for a few years, but he's a young man. He's only 26 years old. He started the organization when he's 18 and it's blossomed on college campuses to where they have thousands of charter or, or charter groups on college campuses who are presenting evidence for conservative political values on campus. The organization is called Turning Point USA, and the leader is Charlie Kirk, and Charlie's my guest today. Charlie, how are you? Frank, it's an honor to be with you, and uh, I have grown closer to Jesus and to God because of you and the great work that Cross-Examined does. And Everyone listening to this podcast should support Cross-Examined. I, I came across your YouTube videos, stumbled across them accidentally, and I was so captivated because I'd never experienced apologetics the way you present it. And so God bless you for the work you're doing. It truly is an honor to be here today. Well, thanks, brother. You know, I have not experienced political discourse uh, the way you do it until I've seen you on college campuses. And it's interesting. We're sort of doing the same kind of thing, just in a little bit different areas you're dealing a lot with conservative political values, and you're also you're getting some questions about Christianity as well. You tend to uh, you tend to attract a, a little bit more hostile audience than I do. I mean, I've seen some some of the interactions you've had with people on college campuses. They're cursing you out, and you maintain a Christ-like demeanor with these people. What kind of presentations are you giving on college campuses, Charlie? Well, thank you, Frank. And it's true, there is a lot of venom and hostility out there. And sometimes only the patience that we are instructed to have as Christians is what gets me through some of the backlash that I experience on campuses. But my message is very simple when I go to campus. I, I have lots of deeply held political beliefs, and we as conservatives do, but I just try to keep it in two or three uh, simple buckets. I make the argument that America is the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world, the most benevolent, generous, prosperous country ever to exist. And I explain why. 
I argue that the Constitution, the United States Constitution, is the greatest political document ever written and has given more people more religious freedom, more individual initiative, more individual liberty than any other uh, governing document in the history of the world. And the third thing I talk about, if I'm able to get there without being interrupted or being you know, yelled at off campus, is that the free market system is the most effective, proven, and moral economic system ever discovered. So those are the three big things I talk about, uh, but I'll answer questions about anything, Frank. I get atheists that uh, challenge my faith. I get people that challenge my views on abortion. Uh, I am very pro-life, outspoken on the life issue. I get people that challenge my views on the transgender topic, of which Mm -hmm. I remain committed to science and also what the Bible instructs us, that there are only two genders, and God made man and woman different uh, for intentional reasons. And ignoring that is ignoring the laws of nature and nature's God. So Mm -hmm. it is correct what you're saying, Frank. We do have a more political message that we talk about on college campuses, but I do not deflect or shy away from some of the more even consequential or important political topics such as does God exist? How is there a moral code that I should live my life behind? And I, I will say, Frank, that even when I talk about free enterprise in the Constitution and American exceptionalism, talk about how individuals should interface with their government, and it starts to make sense with people. I have seen the Galatians 3 model that says the law is a school teacher to Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and people that have grown closer to their church have committed their life to Jesus Christ as we actually start with the political message, not necessarily a spiritual one. So we're both going at it in different ways and both obviously have common shared experiences of how we can best you know, approach uh, these uh, these difficult issues. And I would I would venture a guess, Frank, in fact, I know this to be true. There's a lot of commonality of membership between the committed atheists and the committed socialists that I, I sometimes oh, yeah. feel the wrath of. Now, how did Turning Point USA begin? I mean, you started it when you were 18 years old. As I mentioned, you're 26 now. How did all this co- come into being, Charlie? Well, I started it uh, right out of high school. I didn't get into my desired dream school uh, right out of high school when I uh, um, I thought I had my plan all perfectly figured out. And I started Turning Point with no money, no connections, and absolutely no idea what I was doing. So I had you know all the requirements needed to screw everything up. But I uh, decided not to go to college, and I took a six-month uh, gap year, and I guess you would call it a gap career now. Never went to college, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the most ironic twists. Um, you know, <laughs> someone that doesn't go to college is running a college-based organization. I embrace the irony. In fact, I, I think it actually makes for a pretty good story. Uh, but we have been so blessed, Frank. I wish I could take credit for it and act like I'm some sort of mad scientist that had this whole thing figured out. That would not be true at all. Uh, we have been so phenomenally blessed, overwhelmed by the amount of support that we have uh, been given right place, right time for an organization such as ours, where the college campuses have become islands of totalitarianism. They become so hostile to even the idea that America might be a pretty good country, (laughs) something that shouldn't be a controversial topic. And so right place, right time. And we also play offense as an organization. Uh, Kind of the thing that we say is that we play offense with a sense of urgency to win America's culture war. And so over the last seven, now almost eight years, Uh, We have grown in ways I could not have imagined. We've had amazing success on digital social media. Um, We have risen up leaders uh, that have started with us, such as Candace Owens, who's one of the most prolific voices now in the conservative movement, who started with us as our communications director. Um, 2,000 high school and college campuses represented in our network, 5,000 students at our end-of-the-year summit. And uh, we're just getting stronger every single day. Praise God. 
Well, that summit that you had in December, you actually had the president of the United States there. How did that happen? Well, that's that's correct. And he's he's been so wonderful to us. And I know he gets a bad rap by plenty of people and sometimes in Christian circles. But I'll stand up for him and I'll stand up for how he has treated Turning Point USA and myself personally. He's always been loyal, generous with his time. Uh, he has given some of his longest speeches he's ever given in his presidency at Turning Point USA events. He spoke at three of our events in the calendar year 2019, and maybe we'll get a couple more this year. And God willing, he'll have another four years, so maybe we'll have more in the future. And he's been wonderful to us. It's been I, I couldn't have imagined, Frank. I mean, only in America could an 18-year-old that didn't go to college, that everyone thought was going to fail and screw up in the endeavor that he was doing, be able to meet with and interface with the leader of the free world and host him at events. That's only an America story. It's something that should be appreciated and just we're so thankful for. And it's made possible thanks to individual liberty, economic freedom, and honestly, a culture that is willing to embrace people that take risks, a culture that uh, wants to celebrate entrepreneurs that create value in society. And so um, what an amazing blessing as we look back on the last eight years of this organization. Well, we're going to talk more with Charlie Kirk. He's my guest today. We'll talk more about uh, President Trump and Christians and President Trump. We'll talk more about free markets, limited government. We'll talk about what are we trying to conserve as conservatives? Why is that even important? Uh, we'll talk about Charlie's book. We've got a lot to talk about with Charlie Kirk. And by the way, if you want to look at a Twitter feed at which you will get educated. I don't know how this guy does it in like 200 and something characters, but you just need to go to Charlie Kirk 11. That's Charlie Kirk, all one word, K-I-R-K 11. Check out his Twitter feed, 1.7 million followers, lots of educated statements on there. And we're going to be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk, my guest, Charlie Kirk. Don't go away. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review. Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you're low on the FM dial looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it. My guest today is Charlie Kirk, founder and president of Turning Point USA. Check out their website there. They're bringing light to dark places, the college campus, the high school campus, about 2,000 charter groups all over the country that are teaching young people conservative principles about political freedom, free markets, and limited government. In fact, that's in their charter right there. Charlie, let me ask you about that. We talked about a little bit about the uh, importance of political freedom. Without political freedom, nothing else happens. We can't preach the gospel. We can't live the gospel. But Christians sometimes get hung up on free markets. They think free markets are all about greed. Why is that not the case? It's not the case. And I just want to close the loop on that wonderful point you made. The most important thing a human being can do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, without mm -hmm. a doubt. The second most important thing is to make sure you can do the first thing. That's mm -hmm. the argument that politics impacts the kingdom, the gospel, and every ministry out there. Look, free markets gets a bad rap because there's a wide misinterpretation of what free markets is. So let me start by telling you what it isn't. It's not cronyism. It's not insider deals. It's not hiring the right lobbyists in Washington, D.C. It's not even pro corporate uh, special interests. It's not that at all. Uh, the free enterprise system, which was not created by man, which is a very interesting thing, was actually discovered by Adam Smith. It was happening naturally. 
Uh, voluntary trade uh, goes back all the way to the times of the Bible where individuals would trade value for value. And it's, it's actually, it's incorporated in this belief in private property. And we have evidence of the uh, necessity of private property going back to Abraham when he purchased Hebron, which you can now visit, of course, um, in the region of Judea, Samaria, in Israel. But look, free enterprise gets a bad rap because I think it's just misunderstood by a lot of people and Christians included. Um, Jesus Christ tells us to look after the least of these. Jesus Christ tells us to give generously. Jesus Christ tells us um, to give sacrificially. Uh, none of those beliefs, those tenets, or those, command, uh, those commandments by Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, are violated at all or contradictory to allowing a free enterprise system. Uh, in order to, uh, in, in a free enterprise system, you must trade value for value. You must multiply. And that is also one of the teachings that is uh, very common in Jesus Christ's teaching and the four gospels that we have, which is uh, is the idea of multiplication. And the mm-hmm. one parable that I think talks about talks us the, about this best is the parable of the talents, where uh, Jesus Christ, and you know this quite well, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with it, but I'll do my best to summarize it. Essentially, Jesus tells a parable where three individuals are allotted uh, different talents. Uh, the word talent does not necessarily mean the talent of playing the violin, but it was a currency equivalent, essentially. Um, and the talents were distributed uh, to three different individuals. And um, essentially, the individual that did nothing with what was given by the owner or by the master, if you will, was most harshly repudiated in the telling of this uh, teaching by Jesus Christ. And the person who actually multiplied what was given to them was commended and was given the highest praise by Jesus in the telling of this parable. Um, Jesus wants us to multiply what we've been given, whether that be uh, the, the, the teaching gift you might have or the gift of compassion. The only way you are able to multiply, Frank, is if you have individual and economic freedom. In Venezuela, in the Soviet Union, in Cuba, in North Korea, you think that you're able to do the most for the kingdom in those countries? Absolutely not. It's nearly impossible to spread the kingdom of Jesus Christ if half the country is dying of starvation. It's very difficult to be able to spread the good news of the gospel when you're in economic or civil unrest. Free markets creates a peaceful society. Free markets creates a generous society where America gave away over $500 billion to charity last year. Now, mind you, when I argue for free markets, Frank, I do not argue for people's sin within a free market. Because guess what? That sin would still be present if we had a communist system or a socialist system or a Marxist system. This is so important that just because you have a different economic system does not mean you could change human behavior. That's not correct at all. Human behavior will remain the same regardless if we have a Marxist total totalitarianism system or if you have a free market system. If you you went into the Eastern Bloc under Soviet Union times, which a lot of young people are not properly educated – on the fact that we looked communism in the eyes for decades post-World War II and we peacefully defeated it, guess what, Frank? The criminals still stole. The people still lied. People still cut in line, despite the fact that there was very little to no private property, despite the fact there was no free, free enterprise. What the free enterprise system does, though, is it necessitates you to act as moral as possible in order to, to have value transactions. And so, of course, people are still going to lie, cheat, and steal. That's our natural inclination as human beings. And guess what? We as Christians don't have to guess about this. It took us like a couple chapters in the first book of the Bible before we started to disobey God and turn away from him, right? So we have, we have, we have the answer to that question where a lot of philosophers stumble around needlessly with thousands of pages of wondering and confusing whether human beings are good or bad. We know the answer to that question. We know that we need salvation. So what the free enterprise system does is it allows you the individual initiative, the individual liberty 
to act as you see fit. And I'll, I'll close the point on this, Frank, which is in a socialist system, you are not able to act as an entrepreneur or to produce uh, as you see fit. In a free market system, if you believe you are called to live as a commune in the hills and just be in a voluntary transaction, you can actually do that. We have that. It's the Amish who are wonderful people in Pennsylvania. In a free enterprise system, there's not a gun to your head telling you you have to participate and you have to build a bunch of businesses. You have the freedom to act as you see fit, which I believe is the most moral system because it does not have the imposition of a arbitrary set of values, which obviously end up being on the far left. And I believe actually inhibit and prohibit the advancement of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. Charlie, talk about why free markets are the best way to get rid of poverty. How does how do free markets do that? It's a great question, Frank. We as Christians need to better understand and advance the teachings of uh, not just the teachings of the gospel, but also where it intersects with the evidence of free markets. And we talk about this a lot at the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, a project that I co-founded with Jerry Falwell Jr. at Liberty University, where free markets are the greatest poverty elimination uh, machine in the history of the world. Since near since year 1900, we we in Western society and any country that has embraced a free market system has abolished uh, absolute world poverty by 95%. We've seen a 95% abolition of world poverty, whether it be access to medicine, transportation, communication, food. A very simple example for everyone listening to this podcast that might be a little skeptical of what I'm saying. Go right now, if you're allowed to, of course, socially distanced, wearing a mask, <laughs> go to a grocery store, right? You, mm -hmm. you should just be in awe and amazement at the complexities of what it would take for a government institution 50 or 60 years ago to put together what you're able to witness at a grocery store. Every single skew of hot sauce you can possibly imagine, 50 different types of lettuce from all across the world, different types of craft beer or wine, not exactly my choice beverage, but someone listening to this, it might be. My point being, Frank, is that that all happens voluntarily. In a free market system, we actually have a surplus issue. We have more stuff than we know what to do with when it comes to the consumption of necessary goods and services such as food, water, et cetera. Only a free market system is able to deliver that because it doesn't actually involve a centralized command dictatorial type mm -hmm. um, edict. And I think this is very important to realize that free markets, because economics is the war against scarcity, that's what economics is. And free markets actually makes things more equitable. I know that might be a surprise for some of your listeners to hear, but through voluntary transaction, you have seen more people lifted out of poverty. You've seen more people have access to high quality goods. And what free markets do, do time and time again is it lowers the price, raises the quality, and increases the accessibility of things that only the rich few and the well-connected used to have 20 or 30 years ago. You can look at cell phones, you look at data communication, you can look at certain foods that used to be considered things that only the rich, the few, and the well-connected were able to access. Now, of course, almost the entire society is able to access those things. And that's what the free market system does, not government edicts. And that's why you go to the island of Cuba. They're still driving the same cars that they had in the 1950s as they are today. Progress is very, very hard when you do not have voluntary transactions, the things that we call trade. And I think that we as Christians need to be more um, appreciative and also articulate in how we advance the ideas of free enterprise, especially in concert and harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, friends, this is what happens when you don't go to college. You get educated like Charlie <laughs> has been educated. This is Charlie Kirk, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk. My guest, Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk 11 on Twitter. 
Charlie Kirk 11 on Twitter. Check him out there. You know, Charlie, it struck me. I was reading uh, Jay Richard's great book, Money, Greed, and God. And he had a point in there that I just thought was brilliant. He said, you know, there's nobody at Apple that knows how to make an iPhone. In fact, there's nobody in the world that knows how to make a pencil from scratch. I mean, how do you make a pencil? You got to get wood. You got to get graphite. Where do you get graphite? You got to get the little grommet on the end of the pencil. You got to put rubber. Where do you get the rubber from? No, there's no one person in the world that knows how to make a pencil, much less an iPhone. The only way these things get made is through the free market. Somehow it all comes together on the free market because people have different gifts, different talents, different insights, and they come together naturally when you have a profit motive. This cannot be done from a top-down governmental bureaucracy, you will not get this kind of innovation, which is the last point I want to talk about, Charlie, which is part of your mission at Turning Point USA. Why is limited government something that you're advocating on a college campus or high school campus? Well, thank you. And, and, and that is in direct correlation with the necessity of free enterprise. If, if we're honest with ourselves, human history was basically tyrannical rulers and despot dictators abusing centralized power for thousands of years. We saw it in the times of Jesus Christ with King Herod, uh, Pontius Pilate capitulating to the mob, or eventually the fall of Rome through uh, as a transition from a republic to an empire. Uh, we saw it from the British Empire. We saw it all across the world that the, the, the track record of human history um, was quite poor when it came towards representing individual initiative, individual liberty, and private property. Now, some of these ideas were tossed around and entertained, Plato versus Aristotle. Aristotle was much more on the side of individual initiative and private property, and Plato was much more around the idea of trying to create almost a utopia philosopher king. So it's, it's not like the argument was nothing new, but America took many thousands year leap forward. It, I call that one of the great leap forwards in human history, where inspired by some of the teachings and the writings of the Enlightenment by John Locke and a little bit of Descartes and also, of course, um, of uh, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, the founding fathers articulated in the Declaration of Independence, and if you had to go to a document prior to that, the Magna Carta had a very, very instrumental role uh, mm -hmm. in the creation of, West, of Western society. But in the Declaration of Independence, basically, they go, they go to the teachings of the Enlightenment, and you see it so clearly written in the Declaration. They say the laws of nature is a nature God basically give us these inalienable rights, none of, the least of which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the original draft, they had private property. But basically what they're saying is that, no, 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 there's a such thing called natural rights that are given by our creator, given by God, not given by King George, not given by some dictator, not given by some Caesar. These rights are given to us naturally, and we can reason that we have them. It was so fundamentally different than what people, we can finish it as we come out of the break, Frank. Yeah, let's come out of the uh, break. Yeah, those well, rights yeah. come from God, as uh, Charlie was just mentioning. Without God, there's no right to anything. I mean, it's just your opinion against somebody else's, and our founders grounded them in God. And Paul even talks about this in Romans chapter 2, the Gentiles have the law of the law written on their hearts. Let's talk more with the Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA in just two minutes. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go anywhere. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. want to mention that uh, the folks at Lagos Bible Software has given everyone within the sound of my voice a 30% discount on their software. We don't get anything for this, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just letting you know because I use Lagos Bible Software. It's amazing. Uh, just go to a Lagos uh, Bible Software. I think it's lagos.com forward slash cross-examined and you'll get a 30% discount. The, 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 it's incredible software. Just trust me. If you don't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go to our, our YouTube channel and look up the hope one broadcast. We just did on Thursday with, um, Scott Lindsay of Lagos Bible software. And when you see him demoing this thing on, on the page, you're going to go, Man, I, I need to have this stuff. Well, you get 30% off if you go there now. This is just a public service announcement, ladies and gentlemen. If, if you put cross-examined in there, you'll get the 30% discount. Also want to mention the Stealing from God uh, online course will begin in May. If you want to be on Zoom with me, answering, uh, asking and answering questions, then you sign up for the premium version. Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. Uh, Charlie, let's go back to my friend, Charlie Kirk, the head and founder of Turning Point USA. Charlie, just before we got interrupted by that awful heartbreak, we were talking about limited government, where rights come from. Why don't you just pick it up right there? Yeah, thank you, Frank. And so you said it perfectly as we were exiting that segment, which is if you believe in the laws of nature and nature is God and you believe that you have natural rights, you must believe in a right giver. And that right giver is the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, which is God. And this is why the secular left and why the atheists have such a hard time explaining uh, why you should have natural rights. It's actually, I would argue, why they don't think you have natural rights. They believe in a much more social contract theory, a Rousseauian view, a Marxist view that you don't have natural rights, that the rights are just given to you by the state. Uh, I, I completely disagree with that. And, you know, we as Christians should uh, fundamentally disagree with it uh, because the Bible clearly states that everything you are and everything we have is given to us by God, that we are under his dominion and we are under uh, his, his creation completely, totally and categorically. And so when it comes to limited government, we must understand that centralized power and power in general must be used sparingly, rarely and very carefully. Uh, we don't look to government to be our salvation. We don't look to government to solve our problems. We don't look to government to uh, to try to do anything more than try to protect those natural rights. And then we have we have we can have an argument over what what the proper role of government is. Um, the left they believe in unlimited government. They haven't found a government program that they're not crazy about. Mm. Uh, my job is trying to go to college campuses and convince students that government should do less for you. That's a hard sell, Frank. It's actually a lot easier to have the sales pitch just say, yeah. I will give you free college, college debt elimination, uh, free money every single month. We'll subsidize your housing. And while we're at it, why don't we just uh, also pay you not to work? I mean, you, you mm. understand what I'm saying? That's a yeah. much harder argument to make. But liberty is hard. Liberty is actually the exception to the human story and the human experience. Because most human beings in the history of the world, up to our amazing renaissance and the amazing American breakthrough, have not lived with liberty. And we don't have that much evidence, that track record that how this is going to end. And I, I, I believe it will end positively because we have, you know, we have truth on our side and that we have hopefully enough people that appreciate the freedoms and liberties that we have in our country. But it's, it's so necessary for Christians to understand the importance of getting involved in politics, getting involved in the size and scope of government discussions, because if the left and the secular left and the atheists had their way, 
uh, they would shut down churches. They would shut down Christians' right to free expression. Um, and they've, they've even vocalized that in uh, recent months. And if you want to be a part of this, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a young person, you're going to college or you're at high school and you, you're maybe going to college, uh, go to TPUSA. That's for Turning Point USA. TPUSA. You can join the movement right there. If you want to get more information, you can see Charlie's extremely articulate. He knows what he's talking about. He's a young man, 26 years old, and he's trying to help educate people around the country about three major issues, political freedom, free markets, limited government. And he's not shy about telling people why he thinks all those things are the right way to argue. Uh, and largely, this is all based on the fact that God is God and he came to save us. And uh, we know what our human nature is. And the right way to govern ourselves is with freedom, with free markets, with limited government. Uh, so he will also give you arguments and evidence for Christianity as well. So go to TPUSA if you're interested in this. You want to follow Charlie on Twitter, Charlie, uh, Charlie Kirk 11, just Charlie Kirk 11, the number 11 right there at Twitter. You can get so much more uh, by just watching his Twitter feed. Now, Charlie, you're a nonprofit organization like we are. You're an educational organization like we are. You don't endorse candidates as an organization. Neither do we. However, you have written a book. And personally, you're supporting uh, the President Trump for re-election. You've written the book called MAGA Doctrine, M-A-G-A Doctrine. Tell us a little bit about what's in that book, why you wrote it, why you're supporting the president. Yeah, thank you. That's exact. That is correct. As a, a turning point USA, we're a 501c3. We don't endorse, uh, get involved with, or take positions on any sort of elections. And so, but I do personally, of course, take political stances. And I did write the book MAGA Doctrine, and uh, I wrote it for one reason. I, I'm a supporter of the president. I have been for years. And as in the early stages of, of his presidency, I was just so confused why we were trusting people that had bitter resentment towards the president of the United States to tell us why he was doing what he was doing and tell us what he believed. I found that to be very puzzling why you would trust opponents of somebody to trust you to be the fair arbiters of interpretation of someone's philosophy. Um, the book did phenomenally well. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for two weeks running, which was a huge surprise to us and a huge thank you to all of you that helped support. Uh, the book, basically in the book, I make the argument that President Trump uh, is a once in a generation type of leader who, in a, in a, first of all, the way he came into politics was very unique, to say the least, uh, mm -hmm. beating 16 other Republican candidates, beating the Bush dynasty, the Clinton dynasty, uh, pushing back and beating the tech elites, uh, and also, of course, the media that was in firm opposition to him. And as he became president, he actually did something uh, that we were not very accustomed to. Uh, he actually did what he said he was going to do. He fulfilled his <laughs> promises. Uh, and so for Christians listening to this that care about, I know that Israel is a very important issue to Christians, and it should be. Israel is the living evidence of the Bible. Um, I, my faith always is fastened and reinforced every time I'm able to visit Judea and Samaria and walk the streets of Jerusalem, go to Jesus's hometown of Capernaum, uh, go to the Mount of the Beatitudes or Nazareth. I think that it's important for Christians to be able to have equitable access to the Holy Land. Well, if the Palestinian Authority and the radical Islamists across the Middle East had their way, it could be argued that Christians would not be allowed into some of these holy sites. In fact, you're seeing that it's harder than ever for Christians to be able to access Bethlehem and many other parts of Judea and Samaria. President Trump did what he said he was going to do to stand with Israel. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem is mentioned hundreds of times um, in the Bible, and it is inarguable, in my opinion and the opinion 
of many theologians, and I would imagine, Frank, you share this opinion, that Jerusalem is and should be recognized as the political mm-hmm. capital of Israel. Politicians mm-hmm. for years said they were going to do it, uh, Republicans and Democrats, and they couldn't muster up the courage. It passed unanimously in the United States Senate. But President Trump actually did it because he said he was going to do it. He recognized the Golan Heights. He uh, slashed funding to the Palestinian Authority that literally subsidize and pay uh, individuals to commit terrorist acts against uh, Jewish Israeli citizens. President Trump has also been so committed in the fight for life. Uh, we as Christians are called to fight for every single human being. We believe that human beings are uh, created in the image of God, Imago Dei. And if we believe that, we should not turn a blind eye to the horror and the unspeakable practice of abortion, especially the abortion industry that commits 3,000 abortions a day. So just today, the day that your listeners are listening to this podcast, 3,000 innocent lives will be taken from the womb. I believe that is an unspeakable and unacceptable number, and President Trump agrees. He's been the most pro-life president in American history. He's the first president ever to speak at the March for Life. Republican presidents in the past thought it was too controversial. He proudly visited the March for Life, of which I was in attendance uh, just a couple months ago. He nominated Gorsuch and Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, uh, two religious freedom advocates, impartial justices who are also pro-life, 200 circuit court judges. He's issued guidances on religious liberty and religious freedom. He has instructed the IRS to stop their uh, attacks on uh, individuals that are in the Christian community that was happening in the prior administration. I could go on and on, Frank, but those are just a couple issues that I think really pertain um, to the worldview of Christians that I think that we uh, we need to talk about more. And um, I, I'm, I get plenty of criticism and backlash from my support from the president from all sorts of different uh, communities and pockets of, uh, you know, of, of people out there. But uh, despite what you might think about his style or his substance or his Twitter feed, you vote for rulers to do things and you vote for their policies and you vote for their implementation. And I think it's inarguable that President Trump um, has done a phenomenal job for our country and especially those uh, that are people of faith. Well, let's talk about that for just a second, though, Charlie, because you always will get pushback. And I've had a couple of programs where we talked about why did evangelicals in particular vote for Donald Trump? You guys can go back in the archives about four or five months ago. You can listen to both those programs. And I took some feedback from you on it, read some of your emails, uh, particularly those that disagreed. Why did evangelicals vote for Trump? Um, but here's the question. Obviously, Christians probably generally are pretty pleased with uh, with uh, President Trump's policies, but they don't like his demeanor. What do you say to that, Charlie? Well, look, I, I use one story that I've, I've spoken with you before, Frank, mm-hmm. of an individual that's in the Hall of Faith uh, in Hebrews. Uh, and we suspect Paul wrote Hebrews. You and I joke about this, Frank, but mm-hmm. I get hate mail sometimes from people <laughs> who say, oh, Paul didn't write Hebrews. But in the Hall of Faith, uh, this did uh, Samson. And the, the story of Samson, I could not walk into a Sunday school session uh, full of eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds and tell the story of Samson without having to moderate it, if not change some details. Um, the spirit of the Lord came to Samson when he was in the prostitute's bed. Uh, Samson was called by by God to do things that, quite honestly, other people were not necessarily willing to do to protect the people of God. He killed a thousand Philistines with the jaw of a donkey to protect the the, the, the people of God. Why, why do I say this story? Well, sometimes God uses individuals. King David is another example of this um, to advance the kingdom and protect righteous causes. And I, I think in, in so, some people, I believe, overly nitpick, but you look at what President Trump has done for life. You look what he's done for judges. You look what he's done for our country. And I will fully admit he's one of the he, he's probably the most surprising individual you could choose to be the greatest friend of evangelicals, someone who is 
three times married and twice divorced and been on the cover of Playboy magazines a couple mm-hmm. times, who was previously pro-choice and donated to Planned Parenthood, is now the person who's cutting planet, funding to Planned Parenthood and speaking at the March for Life. Wow. I think that only reinforces the case that God uses people in mysterious ways. And we shouldn't fight that. We should stand for truth, stand for principle, and of course, uh, not make exceptions for our own moral uh, decisions and worldview as we have it. But we also must appreciate leaders that fight for what we believe in and also ally ourselves with those who are not afraid to say the words of Jesus Christ in White House press briefings, who are not afraid to surround themselves with people like Franklin Graham uh, and other amazing pastors uh, who are who speaks affectionately about evangelicals so on and so forth. We'll talk about that in the next segment. Yes, God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, we are all crooked sticks. None of us are perfect. But uh, God can still use us and does. And we'll have a lot more with Charlie Kirk in our final segment. He's president of Turning Point USA, TPUSA. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And we're back in just two minutes. Hi, friends. Frank Turek. You can only have two things. Either you can have hope or you can have despair. Every day during this coronavirus season at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 Central, we will be live online with a new live stream called Hope One. It's at crossexamined.org. Go to crossexamined.org, and we're going to give you hope every weekday, Monday through Friday, 11.30 Eastern, 10.30 Central. I hope you can join me. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. For those of you that don't know, every day during this lockdown, we're live at 1130 a.m. Eastern Time on our YouTube channel, our Facebook pages, crossexamine.org, our website. We got a show called Hope One, where we're trying to bring hope to people as they're locked down. We've had great guests on, including our guest today, Charlie Kirk. We've had John Lennox on. We've had uh, Ray Comfort on just this past Friday. This week... Monday, we'll have Scott Klusendorf from uh, the uh, the Life Training Institute. He's going to answer the question, can a Christian who's pro-life before lifting the restrictions? Is, wouldn't that be anti-life? We'll talk about it. Tuesday, we're going to have Dr. Dan Eichenberg on. He's going to give us an update. He's a medical doctor, as you know. He's, he'll give us a shot of sanity through a sensationalized situation. So, And you can ask Dan questions, as you know. Wednesday, Dr. Gary Habermas of Liberty University, the world-renowned expert of the resurrection. He's going to talk about actually doubt. He's written on doubt quite a bit. Do you have doubts about God? Gary is going to give you some insights on how to handle that. On, fr- on a Thursday, we're going to have Greg Kokel, uh, the famous book Tactics. He's going to show you how you can have meaningful uh, conversations with people about Jesus, about Christianity, without it being like D-Day. He's going to show you how to be diplomatic and not turn it into D-Day when you're having a conversation with somebody about Jesus. And then on Friday, we'll figure out what's going to happen Friday. We don't have a guest yet, but we will. So check that out every day, 1130 a.m. Eastern time. We're on Hope One. My guest today, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, before we I want to ask you a question about some of the questions you get on college campuses. I want to say one other thing about President Trump. And I think that uh, uh, this is something I said on the podcast a a number of months ago, that I give Trump an A- minus on policy and a D on demeanor. And I think most Christians will say, yeah, that's probably about right. But the reason you put somebody in office is for his or her policies. That's the major reason. Do you hope the person has good demeanor? Of course you do. But if you had to have one or the other, you've got to go with policy over demeanor. When I looked at Hillary Clinton in 2016 and I look at Joe Biden in 2020, 
I don't care how good their demeanor is because their policies are so anti-Christian, anti-life, anti-religious freedom. There is no way in good conscience I could ever cast a vote for them, Charlie. And I know. Well, I completely agree with that. Yeah. 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 And 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 it's just you look at their platforms and you go, Charlie, what what are these people on the left doing to their party? It's yeah. It was Ronald Reagan who famously said, look, I didn't leave the Democrats. The Democrats left me. And, and that was 30 and, years ago, 40 years it's ago. A great, it's a great point. And I mean, there are views on abortion. There are views that men should be able to compete in women's sports if they mm. call themselves women, which I think is just such so troubling and wrong and immoral. Uh, their views on drug consumption, I think, is completely incorrect. Um, and so I, I completely and totally agree with you. And uh, the, again, people of faith need to continue to vote and those that aren't voting, I know it can cons- be considered messy. I know it can be considered um, something I don't want to get involved in. There's nothing in the earthly realm that is not messy. Nothing. Mm. Uh, every single structure, every single exercise that involves human beings will have sin. Will have um, people say it's dark, that it's corrupt. Everything is. Even man-made churches sometimes go through mm-hmm. pe- periods and chapters like that. And so. I completely agree with that, Frank, and um, Christians should rank the most important issues that matter to them, and religious expression, religious freedom, and life, fair and impartial judges should be at the top of that list, and President Trump gets A++ on those issues. That's right. We're listening to Charlie Kirk. He is the president of Turning Point USA, tpusa.com. His his Twitter handle is Charlie Kirk 11, Charlie Kirk 11. He goes to college campuses a lot, high school campuses. He has groups on these campuses, Camp I maybe, campuses, and uh, they are teaching conservative principles, political freedom, free markets, limited government, and also they're talking about Jesus. In fact, a lot of times, Charlie, when you go on a college campus, you're, you're there to give a political talk, but you get questions about about God and Christianity? What kind of questions do you get? Yeah, I, I get I get them a lot. And, you know, I have to admit, Frank, you have educated me to be able to respond to these students. And so, I mean, one of the ones I got, I'd love to have you chat about it here, mm-hmm. um, is, Charlie, how could a good God allow so much suffering to happen in this world? I know you hear this a lot, Frank, yep. but um, I, I, w- w- how would you respond? I would love to hear that. Yeah, that's a great question. And when you only have two minutes, you got to be brief. When they say there's too much evil in the world, I always ask them, what do you mean by evil? Because as soon as they try and define what evil is, they're presupposing good. But if they're presupposing good, they're presupposing God, because there is no objective good unless God exists. If there is no God, everything's just a matter of opinion. What you say is good, I may disagree with. But if there is a God whose nature is goodness, then any deviation from that nature is what we would call evil. And so evil does not disprove God. Evil may prove there's a devil out there, but it doesn't disprove God because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good. And there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. So evil actually shows God does exist. In fact, it's been put this way. The shadows prove the sunshine. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine. In other words, in order to have evil, you have to have good. Oh, you can have sunshine without 
without shadows. You can have good without evil, but you can't have shadows without sunshine. You can't have evil without good. So evil presupposes God. Now, if they say, okay, it doesn't disprove God, it presupposes God, but why would God allow these things to continue? And what we can say there, this is like a two-hour presentation, but the short answer sure, is this. Of course. <laughs> you know, a lot of good things come from evil, right? What, what are some of the good things coming from the evil we're going through now? Well, people are considering their family, how important they are. They're, 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 they're understanding that life is fragile and you ought to take every moment and make the most of it. Uh, some people are coming to Jesus now because of this difficulty they're going through. You know, when I think one of the biggest trials, Charlie, is prosperity. When things are going well, we forget about God. We, we get sure. cocky. And, and that's why Jesus said it's difficult for a rich man to get to heaven because we tend to uh, rely on ourselves. Now, thankfully, he didn't say it was impossible for a rich man to get into heaven because if he did, none of us would get there in America because we're all rich by the world standards. But let me go back to the evil question. Why does God allow evil? Sometimes he brings forth good, but also there's something known as a ripple effect that every event that occurs today ripples forward into the future to affect trillions of other events and billions of people. We can't see how those ripples go forward, but God can. I'll give you a quick um, illustration of this from the Old Testament. Joseph in the Old Testament is sold into slavery by his brothers because they don't like him. He's got he's a, he's dad's favorite. He winds up in Egypt and he goes through a lot of pain and suffering there. But somehow he rises to the third highest ruler in Egypt. His family who sold him into slavery leave Israel to escape a famine. When they get to Egypt and Joseph has put put aside a lot of grain. When they get to Egypt, Joseph sees them. And he says to them, you dirty rats, you're going to pay for what you did. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives. In other words, the evil that Joseph's brothers perpetrated on Joseph himself rippled forward to actually help them later. There's the ripple effect. You see it in that story. Most of the time we don't see it. So when I see an evil come up with God and he allows it to occur, I go, well, I, I, I know, I don't know why he allowed this to occur, but I know why I don't know why, because God's infinite. I'm finite. He can see how the ripple effect is going to work. Also, if God wanted to stop all evil in the world, he would have to take our free will. But if he took away our free will, we couldn't love either. And I, I like to ask people this question. If God were to end all evil tonight at midnight, would you still be alive at 1201? The answer is no. Wow. I wouldn't be alive. You wouldn't be alive. None of us would be alive. So God allows evil because he allows free will. And uh, ultimately what he's going to do, however, is he's going to quarantine evil in a place called hell. You don't like the quarantine now, friends? You're not going to like it in hell either. The only way to get out of hell or ensure you don't go there is to accept the forgiveness Christ has provided through his sacrifice. So that's you don't want to you want to be in quarantine except Christ today. <laughs> Sorry, that's Frank, as short as I, I can do I know on that big question, Charlie. Well, <laughs> I, I, I know you hear this, but I, mm -hmm. I hope you realize how good you are at this stuff because I do this. <laughs> you are the best linguistically I have seen on, on the apologetics issue when it comes in full frontal questions. And what I love about Frank, and everyone knows that I do this as well, I do this politically. Again, I, w I would not have been able to answer that as eloquently as you would. But I ask people who disagree to come in line, and you take every and all questions. Um, and is so well articulated and just makes sense. I was just feverishly writing down notes there. So you really blessed me with that. Thank you, Frank. That was well, terrific. Thanks, brother. All that's on the on our YouTube channel, the Cross Examine YouTube channel. There's about 800 Q and A videos, 
And most of them are questions like that. In fact, Charlie, and and maybe you're finding the same thing I'm finding, despite the fact that I'm talking about the fact that God exists, I'd say 70% of the questions I get are related to morality. Are you getting that same kind of percentage when you're talking about politics? Yes, absolutely. And I I would love to have you uh, eventually be able to debate kind of the Pope of the New Age atheists, which is Sam Harris. I'm sure you're familiar Mm -hmm. with him, but he has a massive influence. Uh, he considers himself a humanist or what, uh, and then there's that other guy who runs the skeptical association and they kind of work in concert with each other. And mm-hmm. it's very post, they call themselves postmodern as if it's an edgy way. And again, I actually have a lot of respect for Sam's intellect and I agree with some of his observations on free speech, but yep. I criticize him a lot on his beliefs, his lack of a belief in a higher power and the almighty, but he believes, and he tries to make the argument, I think, um, incorrectly, and I think it just stumbles towards the end of it, that you can actually find morality and science absent of the Bible or absent of a belief in God. Um, I've really tried to see where he's coming from, and I've read his literature and listened to his podcast. And so I would love to be able to get you in front of him. But what I find, though, Frank, is that people that essentially students will come and they'll say, well, there is no such thing as absolute truth. And of course, I always Mm -hmm. use your line, a variation of it. Well, do you believe that absolutely? Or is that true? And that kind of Mm -hmm. blows it up. But they say, what about my truth? And basically, they believe in this sliding scale of morality that there is no such thing as absolute or total morality that I can kind of create my own morality. Um, And I find that to be very dangerous. Uh, Not only do I find it to be dangerous, I know Mm -hmm. it to be dangerous. And I think it it creates um, so many negative variations to use the ripple effect in a negative connotation. I mean, you have people starting to believe in that. The skews of that are so horrible. Um, it's almost unspeakable. And we actually have evidence of that in the 20th century of people that believed you could make up your own truth. Um, mm-hmm. Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, Mussolini, right. obviously, are just some of those because uh, they, they, they were the most important person. They made themselves some sort of demigod. And we can continue that conversation as we get in. Charlie, you're doing great work, brother. Thank you for what you're doing at Turning Point USA. Thanks for being on the show. God bless you, Frank. Thank you. That's Charlie Kirk, Turning Point USA, tpusa.com. Check out him on Twitter, Charlie Kirk 11, the number 11, Charlie Kirk 11. Great stuff there. And friends, I'll see you next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.